Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to another episode of the After Action Podcast. I'm your favorite veteran with the sign, Zachary Bell. Today, we're joined by someone who's very close to me, someone I've known since I enlisted in 2007. His name is Brian Archer. Brian was someone who I've always looked up to for a long time. When I first met him, he was 22 years old, and I was 18, and he had voted, and he had done things I'd never even thought about. Our friendship has gone way beyond our time in the military, and he's a very important part of my life. He's Uncle Ace to my family and my friends. Please welcome to the show, Brian Archer. This episode is sponsored by Ream Medical. Every veteran deserves respect, competency, and clarity when pursuing a disability claim. Of course, we all know the frustration is much more common. If you're looking for a better path and documentation that strengthens your disability rating request, start with our sponsor, Ream Medical. Ree's team of professionals work with a network of experienced physicians, and they've already provided meaningful medical evidence for more than 25,000 veterans. And while they can't guarantee what the VA will decide, 95%, let me say that again, 95% of their clients reported receiving a disability rating of 70% or higher. That's because when you connect with Remedical, they take the time to explain your options before you pay for anything. Free consultations. So don't give up on a stall process or settle for an unfavorable decision from the VA. Cut through the frustration with accurate medical evidence and a streamlined approach that allows you to pursue your claim confidently. Head over to remedical.com. That's Romeo Echo Echo Medical.com to book your free consultation. Check out our link in the podcast section for more details. Welcome, 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 everyone. Uh, to another episode of the After Action Podcast. I'm joined with one of my best friends in the entire world, someone who's known me longer than anyone, Brian Archer, a.k.a. Ace, Uncle Ace, Ace Man. There's so many nicknames. There is. Ace. I Ace. Like Ace. Ace. Ace is a good one. It's your, it's your defining moniker. Man, it is so good to be here. It is, right? I feel like I've been traveling here all day, because <laughs> I have. Yeah. We landed. We landed. Man, it is so good to be here. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it's good to see you. It's yeah. good to be back in Tennessee. Yeah. Man, incredible. Yeah, it, it is. And what I like about it is we don't have many traditions in the... Well, we do have many traditions in the Bell household, but one of our favorite is Halloween. This is the, this is the longest uh, family tradition I've been a part of, including my own family. This is the most consistent thing in my life. Yeah is Halloween with you and your beautiful family. It is. It's, uh, I think our best one might have been the... Um, Yellow Brick Road or Wizard uh, of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I think it was the Wizard of that Oz. That was a uh, Disney-style yeah. production. It was, yeah. So we... I'll find the photo. and uh, I got a couple, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. We get closer to the mic. Um, it's a little bit like a about a hand fist. Joe? No, yeah. No, it's all right. You're doing great. Push it. Push the mic to you. It should it should feel like almost like on my mouth. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Holla at it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Might as well. Yeah. I felt a little. I said. I said one thing. I said, "Don't embarrass me. Embarrass me for a buzz." You know how. All right, let's start from the top. Three, two, one. Don't say anything about Kanye. Three, two, one. 
Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the After Action Podcast. I'm joined with one of my closest friends and confidants, Brian Archer, Uncle Ace, Ace, Ace of Spades. I mean, the one, the only Ace. Ace. Yeah. Man, it's good to be here. It's good, dude. It's Man, good. Man, it's good to be here. It's, I love Nashville. I love you. Yeah. I love traveling, and that's yeah. what I've been doing all day. You have. And we're here, man. We're here. It's crazy. Here, and it's, um, you know, when I started thinking about this and all the stuff I want to do, I, you were one of the first people I was like, it's on site, you know? Wow. Because we've just known each other so long, and we have so many memories that are tied together. I mean, beyond just my time in the Marines, I mean, one of the things we do every year is we get Uncle Ace and the Bells. We do our, our Halloween. Our Halloween. We do our Halloween. Yeah. yeah. It's the best. It's the longest running tradition in my life, including stuff I do my, on my own with my family, with my friends. Yeah. Halloween with the Bells is the most consistent thing in my life. <laughs> well, it's great. And our, our best one, which I'll find the photo and uh, we'll add it, but our, our best one ever is it has to be The Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. We, Hands down. We all got in character. We all had a role. We were even on a bridge. On a bridge. It looked like a Disney set. Everyone yeah. was uh, dressed up, makeup to the max. Our dogs had costumes. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was. I even uh, I went to a place when I was a Tin Man for a little bit. I, I was like, if I was metal, how would I act? <laughs> and uh, I went there. Dude, I found it. I found it. I didn't think it was going to happen, but it happened. A little method acting in there. Yeah, dude. And you were you were a scarecrow? Uh, I, felt, I was. Yeah, I felt your fear. Oh, yeah. I felt, you know, you're like, where's the brain? I was looking for a heart. Is that what it is? I was looking for a yes. heart. You're looking for a brain. And, like, it's just Still fun. am. It's the same. Um, <laughs> but of all the things we looked for, um, it's been funny. Our lives are so intermingled. Mm. Of all my friends, uh, you're the one that's always around. Like, you're you're the favorite. Like, the girls have been talking about. They're like, Uncle Ace is coming to town. They're getting hyped up. They're doing, like, jumping jacks and stuff. They're... You know they're they're getting ready. You know it's it's a big part of their lives. But before we get to that, let's talk about where it all began. Tell right. everyone your name, um, your social, and your last four, <laughs> and and where you're from. If you just look right there, and we'll take that. No, but where where's Brian Archer from? Where does the story begin? Oh man, uh, the the story begins in uh, Torrance, California. Mm. That's where I was born. Um, I did most of my early growing up on Camp Pendleton, mm -hmm. uh, California. Went over to Spain, did some uh, did some living in Spain for a couple of years, and I did most of my growing up from middle school to high school until I enlisted in uh, Central Virginia. So that's where I say I'm usually from, yeah. Central Virginia. What was it like living overseas? It was pretty incredible as a, as a youngster. I must have been in third or fourth grade at the time. So old enough to remember, but it's just, uh, you know, not old enough to get in any kind of trouble or anything yeah. like that. But it was really cool. We lived very close to the beach. It was Road to Spain, very close to the beach. We went and saw castles and cathedrals. Uh, we traveled around a little bit. So, you know, for the whole year and a half, two years that we were there, you know, for being a military family on a military budget, we actually got, you know, a good dollop of uh, world experience. And a good amount of exposure. Exposure, man. It was awesome. It's really the thing they sell you on in the military initially. It is. And, uh, you know, or credit where credit is due, my family did it right. We stayed out in town. We didn't stay on base. Yep. Um, you know, it's very authentic. Uh, we got our, you know, our eggs from the local farmer fresh every day. Oh, yeah. uh, ate dinner very late at night. I usually, you know, was asleep. But they all ate at 10, 11 o'clock at night. That's a Spain thing, right? Very cool, man. Yes. Because they do, what is it called? Uh, they do, like, tapas. Yes. Throughout the day. So, like, you're snacking. 
Is that what it is? You're like delicious. Snack. You're just eating nap. You're eating naps. If you haven't had chorizo or uh, mm. the calamari, man, from Spain, man. I haven't. It's worth the trip. It's worth the trip. Across the pond. They really? got some great food, man. The great well, the whole Mediterranean, right? Yeah, and they also have like the most like longest lives, like all this crazy not not crazy stuff. That's actually they have the lowest issues with like family issues, 100%. mental health, because yep. like what they they like eat apps all day. They eat clean. Eat clean. Uh, they don't eat a lot. They don't eat a lot. Um, it's mostly whole foods, right? Not a lot of processed stuff. But Boo. the people in the Mediterranean, man, um, they live with a lot of purpose too, and they, they yeah. know how to take it easy. There's a stress-free environment that's incorporated into the lifestyle. And they stay up like all day. Right? I mean, not, they stay up like really late, right? And mm. like they don't start work till late or something like that. That I, I would be lying if I said I knew for sure. I feel like it's something like that because when I was in South America, they told me it's kind of like that in all like countries right. that are like predominantly latin i believe whatever. it i believe it so how did that work with like a military family so like everyone else is on military time but then you're out there just eating tapas all the time. god what a way to live it's pretty cool that's pretty cool yeah so then you come back and you're in central virginia central virginia um moved to charlottesville and then we moved out into the county into a place called uh lake monticello mm -hmm. um and i did uh all my high school all my middle school all my high school through there I left after high school to go to a, a, a Christian internship based in uh, te Texas. Yeah. I did that for about a year. Uh, then I moved back to Virginia. I did this. I did that. I dabbled in a few different occupations. Mm -hmm. I dabbled in ministry. And then I decided um, to go ahead and make the best decision I ever made. Join the Marine Corps. Simplify. Simplify Dallas. Boz always likes to say how long it takes till we get to uh, Marines. Talking about me in the Marines. It. I'm going to say it. Uh, I don't know. About a thousand more times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we made it. We made it under ten minutes, which is a new record. Yeah. Um. But no. Yeah. So, before we get into that, I want to know, like, what was Brian Archer like? I know Ace. Oh man, you want to know what I was like when I was, before you met me? Well, uh, high school. Like, how how were you moving? I have ideas of you in my head. I don't know if they're accurate. So I was um, I was uh. I was not a part of any particular crew except for really like the Christian crew. Yeah. When I first uh, started going to high school, yeah. Um, I played basketball a lot. I skateboarded a little bit. Um, but the big local church in my area held youth events. Um, and I started going to those because that was the thing to do. We had uh, up to upwards of hundreds of kids coming in on a Friday night to, you know, do worship and take part in these little skits and all kinds of other, you know, things. It was late. Uh, 90s, early 2000s at the time. Were you watching Bible Man and stuff like that? No, not like that. I was. Just, I mean, that's a little. That's a little younger. But me and me and Evan who's just here. We were talking about. He sang the Christian song. I am a C. I am a H. I am a R I S T I A N. Oh man, that's that sounds so vaguely familiar. I know he 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 like went word for word and like I was I was shook. <laughs> I was shook. I was shook like like the voice of the Lord came down and I was in up, you know, I was in my up, upward shorts and my Awana oh, vest, dude, just like everything. I stopped going to church when I could. So okay. I, I grew up in the church, you know, yeah. my mother especially. It's uh, very my southern. My grandmother, you know, um, we're going to church and about, you know, was it 13, 14, 15, I stopped going, you know, and I was a little rascal back then anyway. Um but when this youth event started happening, I started attending that. And then uh, the youth leader of that, uh, this guy, Chris, he was a few years older than me. He really kind of took me under his wing and mentored me um, because I was pretty purposeless then. And uh, I actually got involved in that ministry. I ended up leading the ministry a few years yeah. later. Um, and that was amazing. Uh, that's where I learned to really 
through public speaking. That's where I really learned to start teaching, preaching. Uh, that's where I learned to kind of just be myself, just yeah. kind of be able to be a little eccentric, a little out there, a little just free flowing. Um, but again, you know, for a, for a purpose, which was uh, great. And it gave me a lot of purpose. And that's what ultimately fueled me to go to uh, um, that internship in Texas. Where was that? Do you want to say? Uh, that was uh, the Honor Academy. Honor Academy. In Garden Valley, Texas. Okay. Where's uh, that, Garden Valley? Uh, just outside of Tyler. Tyler. So Ty what is and, Tyler? Uh, like Austin area? So we're talking about about 45 minutes from Dallas, Fort Worth area. Okay. So uh, I don't south. I don't so have any real reference. I know East like Texas. Dallas. East Texas. Yeah, okay. Yep. Okay. That place ended up not being so great. Okay. A couple years later. Uh, you know, like many big things, whether it's a business, uh, whether it's a ministry. Yeah. Um, the money gets tough. And I think, you know, I don't know, but I think that uh, it got tough for them and they ended yeah. up closing their doors. And I think a lot of the alumni kind of no longer associate themselves with that. I know a couple of my friends took it off of their resume. Um, but, well, that could, that's kind of the answer then. But they did teach me a lot about character and a lot about integrity and other things. And, so is it like a Christian school? Is it that... was an internship. So if okay. I'm being super critical, okay, it's a it's a workshop for, for kids who are trying to be good, you know, because you go there and you essentially work okay. for this ministry, you know, not even for free. You pay to be there. And you do take some classes from some yeah. pretty, uh, you know, some like keynote kind of people. But you're, you know, you're working a, a full-time job. I was, I was working uh, in this place, of, you know, basically getting in touch with youth pastors and senior pastors about taking their church on mission trips. So I was cold calling people and like doing all kinds of wild stuff as a, you know, 18, 19-year-old. Um, oh my God! Everything's becoming clear to me. That's where Ace started to develop. You didn't even know it yet. Probably your outgoingness. I mean, you've always you've always had the kids call it Riz now, but you've always had it in, in spades. Well, I guess that's why it's Ace. <laughs> but like, it's it's always like you've always been wise beyond your years. Mm, like to a, to a point, no, to a point where I would always we'll get to like the first time, but like it's always fascinated me. But when did you graduate high school? So I need to like build a timeline in my head. Four years before you. Four years. So 2002? 2002. Yeah, 2003. 2003. Okay. I meant to say after and I messed that up. It's, it's all right. It's all right. I was going to pretend like you were older than me. I'm not. Um, it's, <laughs> I look older than you, but that doesn't matter. Um, I graduated so, 03. So you graduated 03, 06 is what mattered. So then, um, Dude, you know it is, boss. Come on, man. Dude, um, oh six. Remember, everyone that was like a big thing. Oh yeah. Remember how big of a thing it was to be like, when did you graduate? And you're like, oh six. Or like, oh, everyone's like five. Like I hated that, even though it was big at the time. I remember everyone being like, oh, it's a big deal. Like when you graduate high school, then it happens. You're like, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not. But I don't know. Maybe it's bigger now with social media. Maybe they make mm. videos for it or something. But then we were just weirdos posting on MySpace. Um, but no, so you're there, you go to this internship, and then when do you decide to enlist? It was about like a what year. was the what was the push to that? Again, this is strange, um, but I guess it, it came down to purpose. I was uh, I had just gotten back from Africa. Um, that was my first time going to Africa on a missions trip. How was that? That was incredible, man. That really, that really is what propelled me to join um, the military. Yeah. Uh, the civil war in Liberia, Africa, ended gnarly uh, in a bad way, mm -hmm. and it was right around uh, the time that uh, graduated high school. So right around that uh, 2003 time period. Yeah, it was. And that's when Charles Taylor was, you know, kicked out of, kicked out of power. Um, and our church, they went that very same year back uh, back then. So we've been going for a long time. I got the opportunity to go shortly after, and um, we worked with a lot with uh, 
we worked um, very closely with the ex-combatants. So these are the child soldiers. Um, so if you've seen... Speak, speak more to that. When you say child, if, like If you've literally. seen the, the movie like Lord of War or Beasts of No Nation, yeah. um, these are real depictions of what that area was like in that time. And so when I say a child, I mean a child. Yeah. I mean children younger than your daughters who are kidnapped, whose families are murdered, they have no choice, who are manipulated, coerced, or drugged into joining these armies, rebel armies, factions, and forced to fight. And uh, you'll see pictures of children, you know, holding uh, a Kalashnikov AK-47. It's taller than they are. Mm -hmm. And I know it seems cliche, but it's not, man. It's, 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 it's not. a reality in some places of the world. And we got the opportunity to work very closely with these ex-combatants. Now, when the war ended, these children have now been excommunicated and ostracized from their communities. Yeah. They're not welcome back into the towns and villages that they came from. They're not welcome back to their, uh, into their family. They're kind of a, a crew on their own, like the Lost Boys. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a very terrible place to be because they have just committed atrocities. And now they have absolutely nowhere to go. They have no hope. They have no future. And so there are camps um, and places that, for lack of a better term, collect uh, these these children and young men, now young men, who have very little education also mm -hmm. because they were snatched up from school. Um, and school in Liberia and, and like many Wasn't, other places yeah. in Africa is not a human right. You pay to go. Um, so poor education, uh, tough to find food or employment or family or friends or anything. And so working closely with this with these people, it really was a culture shock to me because yep. I as a young, naive, hopeful, energetic, optimistic Christian, it's like, oh, well, well God loves you and everything's yeah. better. J-E-S-U-S, like, yes. And yeah. Like, yeah, but this is what I did, you know, yeah. and, and it's horrifying crimes against humanity. Yeah. And it's like, how do I preach hope to this person? How do I teach grace and mercy to this person who feels like they have none and who I am too shocked to even say, well, God will forgive that because I don't know. Right. Mm. So when I went back home, um, what year I, is this? This like, is, uh, I would have five, just be turning six. 21. So this is about 2005, 2006. Yeah. Yep. Um, and this is still happening. I'm just trying to like paint the, this wasn't like the eighties or seventies. This those, is very recent. Those camps are still in existence. Yeah. I just went to one, uh, this past year. There's still trauma. There's still healing that needs to be done mm. and there's still hurt. Um, that, that, uh, that needs, that needs healing. Um, but when you had, when you'd seen it, I mean, not seen it when you got there, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that. Cause I'm sure you had this idea of like, we're going to like a mission church. We're going to do a little outreach play some soccer and stuff. I, I've done mission trips as well, but not in a place like that. It was a couple years after the war, right? But still, when you go to the bazaars and the markets, mm -hmm. there's still shell casings all over the floor, like gravel. Really? All over the place. All over the place. Um, insane, man. Absolutely insane. It's a real, like I said, it's a culture shock. It's a reality check for how some people have to live. Mm -hmm. um, when I came home, I settled back in, you know, kind of like, Kind of like what you do when you go somewhere. Oh, I'll never do this again. And I'm always going to do this. And you make these checklists for yourself. Yeah. I came back home and I settled back in. I needed a job. Uh, so I started working at this uh, 
bar restaurant. I'd never been a bartender before. This brand new restaurant opened. It was a little Italian place. Mm -hmm. And I went in and applied. And the lady said, I have no reason to hire you except for I like you a whole lot. And she put me behind the bar that same day. And um, I learned how to bartend. I learned how to wait and uh, those kinds of things. Now, earlier I said that I was a really good kid. And I was. I didn't drink until after I was 21. I, yeah. I was really kind of a goody two-shoes. Um, so once I got this job, I kind of had a foot in both camps now because I was still trying to be, you know, a morally straight person. Yeah. But also, I'm 21. I want to hang out with girls. I want to have fun. I like hanging out with the, you know, the chef and the waiters and the waitresses after work, you know, grab a couple shift beers and, you know, play beer pong. You know, I want to do that stuff too. So I had a conflict of interest of who I was. Do you, do you think, this is just a thought I'm having right now, do you think that coming back from Africa, seeing the realities of the world makes you be like, I kind of want to have fun a little bit? Do you That's think, a good question. Do you I don't think, know. Do you if think it, that a part of you was like, whoa. If it, if it I've was seen a part, what, it was a subconscious. Yeah, I've seen... I kind of want to try stuff, mm. right? Like, not like it's, you know, not like it's like danger or something, but like I have this theory that w trauma is this is an incredible gift, but it's a curse. And so you will move throughout the rest of your life with knowledge of not only like what people are capable of, but like firsthand, ex like I saw this with my eyes. It happened during this time. Like there's things like I still try and work through, so I'm wondering if that was... It's probably me projecting it like that was subconsciously like, oh yeah, I wanna I wanna drink, I wanna party, I wanna have fun, I wanna live. You know, Asher Roth was playing at that time too. <laughs> you know, You're like, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a good time for like, music. Yeah, dude, it was. Maybe the golden era of music. Early two thousands. Oh, bro. That's a good time for music. It was, it really was. All time is a good time for music. But not, man, not, that just really pops. I mean, not 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 now so much. Like Drake's just trying to release an album every other day and it, they're too much in my opinion, but like everyone, it's just not. Then things were like made he's old, with right? He's well, no, it's just I don't know. You can tell the difference between someone who makes something and someone who makes something from the heart is what is what I'm probably trying to get at. But I guess what I'm saying is like maybe that's what you were pushing toward. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I've seen this, and you're the only person that's seen that in your life too, right? You've ever thought about that? No. Interesting. No. Um, yeah. I'd have to say that's a really good that's a really good point, and it and it could have been um, a factor, but I'd have to say subliminally because it wasn't a conscious thought. Yeah. Um, but it came to a point where uh, where I was messing around and I was trying to be somebody in the day and another person at night, mm. and I didn't like that about myself, and I wanted to. This is so corny, but you know, be a part of something bigger than myself. Right. Well, there's there's only one way to do that. There's only one way to do that. And that's to uh, shave your head and join the military. Yeah, yeah, it so, is. Um, do you want to talk about that or no? Yeah, I'll yeah. Just keep going. You keep going, dude. This pretty is pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty funny because uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I knew that it just nothing was working. You know, nothing was fitting with you or with her or life. All, all of it. Okay. All of it. Yeah. So I just I went home and I just made a decision. I'm getting out of here. That's literally it. I'm getting out of here. I took off my hat. I shaved my head. I came back <laughs> to work the next day. She was so angry. She, uh, I told her I was joining the army because I was, I was 
enlisted to join the army at first. Really? Yeah. Um, well, bro, that's when they were handing out like thirty, forty thousand dollars. I was checks. in the men's yeah. restroom mm-hmm. with a fresh shaved head, and she knew we were about to, you know, probably break up because I was I told her I was enlisting like now. Yeah. And you know, it's uh, so we're talking about this is two thousand six, so the mm-hmm. wars are popping. Um, you know, the de-escalation in Iraq, if that's what you want to call it, but the really the the ramping up for Afghanistan had begun. Yeah. Um. And so she busted in the men's bathroom, and she starts yelling at me. And she said, "I hope you step on an IED." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's pretty funny, man. And uh, you know, I'm just like, "Oh!" So I left. Uh, you know what you should have said? Uh-oh. Let's get married. <laughs> I tried that. We did try that. You just like turn around and be like, come with me. And you take a knee. She stuck around for a little bit. Yeah. I think you remember. Because, I know. Uh, I know. Okay. I, I'm not naming names, dude. Okay. Dude. Old Twinkie. Oh, no, I know. I know. I um, remember. She stuck around. She's a good sport. She's a good girl. No. Uh, it's just such a funny thing to say. Oh, she was uh, She was upset. Yeah. She was real she, upset. She was, she was hurt in the moment. So I went down to the Army recruiting office. And I had a great time, man. Yeah. And I did all my ASVAB stuff. I found out how stupid I really was on paper. Um, needed a lot of ASVAB coaching. <laughs> um, B-R-I-A-N. Just come on. <laughs> like, bro. Um, and I was in that office for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks doing a for lot real? of paperwork. Yeah, man. And unfortunately, or fortunately, um, I was in there because I was just going in there sometimes just to hang out. And this particular uh, recruiting office all of the uh, departments shared one building. So you had to go in the front two doors and walk right past the Marines, right past the Navy, right past the Air Force, yeah. and go to the Army. It's one of those career centers. Exactly. Yeah. They're, so they're not around. They had this often. guy, right. They had this guy come in that day. Yeah. And he seemed like some guy that's trying to like hype up things up even more than the recruiters, probably on a, was that leave that you get to go? He was like that. Recruiter's so, assistant. There you go. So yeah. he came in all hot. Yeah. And uh, he starts telling me about all this stuff that was going to happen. Yeah, I, bet he did. I didn't want it to happen. You know, he's like, "Oh, we, we drink all, we drink our face off all the time. Yeah. You can do drugs on the side. Like, there's orgies." And I'm just like, "Oh, it sounds awesome for everyone except me, man. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that at all." Yeah. The only other thing that was a huge red flag for me was the recruiter at this point had pulled out this uh, this clipboard and he tried to show me all the federal holidays that I was going to get off. You know, like, oh, you're, you're off these days. And, you know, we're, we're the governments. We get off all these days. But my dad was uh, also in the military. He's, he's a Marine. So he is a Marine. I knew that he was never home. No. He didn't get any holidays you guys are, off. You guys are lying. <laughs> so I was like, I was like yeah. oh, they're lying to me. Yeah. So shortly before I signed my final paperwork and went to MEPS, yeah. um, my mom had found out she's not happy. I was not on speaking terms with my dad at this point. Yeah. Um, but she had said, like, hey, before you make any decisions, reach out to him. He did 23 years. He, he might did. be able to shine some light on something you're not seeing. Yeah. I said, fair enough. So I called him. He was upset. He was like, he was like, did you sign blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, I haven't signed anything. Because I called him and I was just like, hey, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm yeah. joining the army. I already signed up. You know, and he's just like, okay, what have you been to this place? I was like, no. Yeah. You know, he's like, hey, did you sign this? I was like, no. Uh, no. Did you pee in this cup? He was, I was like, no. no. He's like, you haven't done shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's like, do what you want to do. Yeah. You know, at this point, I'm 21 years old. Do what you want to do, but do me a favor. Go talk to one of the Marine recruiters mm. before you make a decision. I said, okay, I'll do that for you. 
And that very same day, I called the, uh, the Marine Corps recruiting office. And uh, a guy answered the phone. And I told him, like, hey, um, just, you know, my, I, I promised my dad I'd, I'd call you guys. And, yeah. and he tried to give me the runaround. Uh, let's set something up. And I was just like, hey, let me shoot you straight. I'm driving into town right now. Yeah. I'm going to get a tattoo of a cross on my arm. And I've already been talking to Sergeant What's-His-Face in the Army office. And that's really where I'm going. I'm doing a courtesy call for my father, who's in the Marines, to call you. Mm. little silence. And then he said, what are you doing for lunch? Yeah. <laughs> so we met at Chili's. He's in civvies. Yeah. I order a, he orders a sweet tea. I order a beer. He says, scratch the sweet tea. Yeah. I'll take a beer too. Yeah. We sat and talked for about an hour. He didn't try to sell me a thing. And I changed my mind right then and right there. What, what was it that? The authenticity factor sold me, man. Okay. Absolutely. And just the demeanor, um, his presence. And it was a, it, at that point, it was a, it was a gut instinct. That's very interesting because you, you gr you'd grown up around Marines too. And I, and I have hated them for a long time. Yeah. No. And yeah. in so many different factors. Is, is, I was a, I was not in the Boy Scouts as a young man. Yeah. I was in the young Marines. I know they're the most adorable photos I've ever seen. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> You know, dude, you're like that kid on TikTok who's like, "Excuse me, future soldier, you're talking to a future soldier of America." <laughs> so, that trauma slaps early. Yeah, yeah, but so you decide, you join, you head off to boot camp, right? And then you come. Did you get recruiter's assistance? Is that why I did? Yep. So and it was an extended one. You did. So let's let's finally we can talk about me. So let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about how we met. So we met at the School of Infantry, right? which is, for any of you who don't know, no, so we met at the School of Infantry in the Marine Corps. After boot camp, you go to a combat training course. MCT is for non-combat MOSs, military occupational skills. That's 21 days, right? Yes, sir. Stop me if I'm wrong. And then uh, the warriors <laughs> go to what? How long did we do it? Uh, three years. Uh, no, 400 days, I think it was. It's three months, rough. No, it's three something. Months. It's something like that. doesn't matter. And that's where you learn your your trade as an infantry rifleman, a machine gunner, mortarman, assaultman, or a tow gunner. And uh, that's where we met. Right. And I remember meeting you thinking you had lived a million lives. <laughs> right? It's only because I was a little, like, I was like four years older than everyone you might as You might as well have been a, a dad. It was like my me and one other guy were the only guys that could buy beer. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know. You were a team player. And for some reason, man, I just came real popular. I was so popular. No, yeah, yeah. You were you were very popular. Um, but instantly you became famous because they gave us our first liberty. Right. We're not gonna name names here because so I can't remember all of them. Let's just not name them. But you go out to Winston Salem, right? Right. With a bunch of other Marines. You're gonna go, you know, go see some ladies. One other Marine. One other Marine. To his home. To his home in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Which was hours and hours away from where we were supposed to be. Which Five was, hours, yeah, something right, like that? So something like that, yeah. From the coast to the mountains. Yeah. And he was he was really selling it. So his family owned a convenience store, and he was... I remember he was walking around being like, hey, man, you want some cigarettes? My mama owns a convenience store. He was, oh, you want this one? He's going to come back. He was, you know, he's taking a little bit of money. So I remember peeling off like a 20 being like, if he comes back, it's worth it. If not, whatever. I've done dumber things for 20 bucks. You know, and then you go out there with him, 
And what does he decide to do? He goes UA, man. He just leaves. He leaves. He leaves. He doesn't tell me goodbye. He got his girlfriend. They they got in a truck and they disappeared off the face of the earth. And I had to be back to check in back at Camp Geiger. Yeah. And you were stranded I in North, stranded. Car- North Carolina. I had PFC money, which yeah. means uh, I owed everyone else money. I had no <laughs> money. Um, and I had no way of getting back. His family wasn't going to take me. Eventually... They were they were in on it. They're like, "Don't go, baby. Don't go." I can't. I don't want to say his name, but I can't even barely remember it. But they're like, "Don't go. Don't go. Don't I don't go." Remember it. I don't want to have it. Uh, he'll like be all right. It. Yeah, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. But um, I'm sure he tells everyone he was a sniper. Actually, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Is he still in? He Did he finish? Ops. No, no, no. He got. He got. He got no. yeah. I guess. Well, we can kind of say Atwood. Atwood. Yeah. yeah, Atwood. I don't care. Atwood left. He was a uh, he was a rascal and the deepest thickest. North Carolina. Carolina accent. North, not Southern, not South Carolina, like Charleston. You think about people with like molasses in their molasses mouth. Molasses and like, what is it? Uh, uh, they have like uh, pin, what is it called? Pin, um, uh, seersucker suits. Mm, they're like, right. welcome to Charleston. You know, they're just like chewing on it. Right. He was opposite. He's like, mama got a convenience store, <laughs> you know? And then like he left. And I remember people being like, where's Archer? Where's Atwood? The alphabet brought you two together, but the Marine Corps t- tore you all apart. That that rocked my world. I was so terrified I was going to get in so much trouble. And I do not remember the name of our staff NCO because we really only interacted with the NCOs in our in our squad. They were we're, good leaders, dude. Um, they were good we, leaders. We did have good leadership. We had good we instructors. Had, we had good war-hardened NCOs. They were gnarly dudes. They were. Remember the one dude who got blackout drunk who like looked at us once and he's like, you know, the ground explodes over there. And we were just like, what? That was the introduction that we all needed. Yeah. No, he was, he was just... He was a little, he's a little, you know, fit to be tied, as they say. When I got back. But you get back. You were a celebrity. Like, it was a whole thing. Everyone was like, what happened? What? No one knew. There's like three cell phones in the whole platoon. I know everyone's, we're all like, oh, dude, it sucks. But I remember you coming back and you had your little area and you were holding court. I have a very clear memory. Yeah, you're right. Of you talking to everyone, and you were like showering, and I remember thinking, "Man, this guy's <laughs> this guy's cool as hell." They called me the uh, the squad bay commander because yeah. they didn't give me the leadership, didn't give me a specific no. leadership billet. But everyone that was a squad leader or had a specific role uh, in our unit, they all most of them came to me for advice. Yeah, you were twenty one. <laughs> you were you you had voted. You could, you had like so many things none of us had. So they called me the squad bay commander. I remember you like putting on your dog leadership. tags, just talking about it, being like, "Yeah, dude." Then he left. <laughs> And he just left. You were holding court. Like, all that night, you came through and, like, I guess I'm not in trouble. Like, that was the whole thing because you came back and you were honest. Actually, taught me a lesson, being honest. Hey, uh, exactly. Exactly. And the the best thing that I took away from that was our staff NCO took took me aside mm-hmm. out to the catwalk and said, you know, and he, you know, gaslighted me with all this trouble I was going to get in. And he was like, however, I asked about you and your, rep- your reputation proceeds you mm-hmm. he said you have been saved by your past decisions your reputation has saved you mm. and that stuck with me for a very long time very long time because you're going to get caught right it's better to get caught doing the right thing than it is the wrong thing yeah you're you're going to get caught and Do that's the right thing and get caught doing the right thing so many better things are going to come your way and that's literally i was like that's ace Mm. That was that was actually you were Archer then he hadn't been given the moniker. No, yet. that was a uh, that was a uh, that was Dunbar man. Yeah, that was well, we'll, we'll we'll talk yeah. we'll talk about that. But you were still, but you, 
everyone has their last name, but like Archer had weight to it, yeah. right? I remember telling you about Christy, my my wife, which um, you know, it's funny because she talks about the day she you, she first met. So she came in town on a weekend, a few weekends later, and uh, she brought my cousin's car and. There wasn't a gate guard that she didn't feel she had to stop to ever. I'm sure I'm convinced everyone thought she was like a colonel's daughter or something. She just didn't understand the concept. It, it's, I mean, I get it. It's a gate. There's people standing there waving at you, saying "Please stop." She, she just, you know, she was just playing ludicrous and just went straight through. Oh it. She, she couldn't care. Um, but the way she tells it, she's like, "You remember this?" She's like, "She came up to pick me up, blew past the gate guard." And then got out to come get me, and like right as we got dismissed, and I was like, "Hey, get get back in the car, get back in the car," because it's not, it's a bunch of animals, hyenas, hyenas, cat calling the whole thing, hyenas, and they're like, "Who, who, who's that? Bell's girlfriend? Who, who?" And you're like, "Bell, Bell," and you're yelling. She goes, "Who's that?" And I goes, "Archer, he's cool. He's all right. Let's get in the car." And then we went to the mall, and and y'all met later officially, but right. I remember that very clear in my we, mind. We were some of the only guys that were dumb enough yeah. to bring our girls on base. The dumbest thing ever. Yeah, dumbest that's, thing. Yeah, that's when Twinkie met uh, Christy. Yeah, yeah, they right? met. They yeah. met, and it, and the guys were like, yeah, they're chomping at the bit. Just they're like, savages. They're just dude. like this. Like, if he doesn't savages. treat you right, I'll treat you right. <laughs> I'm from Ohio. We know everyone. Everyone there's from Ohio. You ever been to New Jersey? It's just a bunch of dudes like that. Yeah, just savages. Just but, then, but then we we did that, right? SOIs wrapped. I remember them lining all of us out, then picking us up for the unit and thinking, like, dude, I just want to. There's a few people I want to be because we we're both 11s, you know, infantry riflemen. And we'd gone through this crazy experience. And I remember that one reservist getting picked up by a limo. Right. That was weird. But um, I remember getting picked up by. Um, all the Alpha Company people, and I was like, "Oh, I guess I'm going to one six. I I didn't, I didn't know anything. I remember I didn't know anything. And I, but I just remember like you were on the bus with me, Langdon was on the bus with me, uh, Gibbons Neff was on the bus with That's me, right, Mahar, Maha, Maha, Boston. He was he was on the bus. Who else was there? Knox. Knox was there. Dude, all those guys went to Bravo, man. They, they did, and I remember my all heart. Of that, we were a good tight group. And uh, not many of us went to Alpha. It was me and you. Right. I think it was, like, literally. Yeah. And I remember them bringing us out, and they're, like, cutting us all up, and they're like, you and you go to Alpha, idiots. And then all <laughs> of our friends went to Bravo, which couldn't have worked out better for any of us. Truth. But in the moment, you're just like, I just made friends. And then I'll never forget, as long as I live, walking with all my gear from SIF. Oh, my goodness gracious. Getting catcalled and getting stuff thrown at us yep. as we're just literally getting... It's like going into a... It's it's like going into a maximum security prison for the first time. That's what it feels like. It's like, yeah. you know, there's three decks and people are yeah. just hanging over it and screaming stuff. Screaming and, at you. You know, half of them are drunk and they're spitting and smoking. And it's like, what yeah. did I just do? I said that. Every day for the first few, what did I do? The first, the first year was rough. What did I do? Being a boot, <laughs> being a boot with all those Iraq guys was that was rough. Rough. I had just gotten off of a fresh and nasty Ramadi tour. Yeah, they were uh, they were looking for fresh meat. They, they were looking for it. blood. They were looking for blood. And they they were looking it. for blood. Yep. And uh, I just remember being like, dude, it's just the worst. And then we get put in different platoons. I get put. In the worst platoon, third platoon. Third? Yeah. yeah, I got put under Lum. That was a nightmare. That was a cult, though. You guys had a cult of secrecy around the trauma that happened in the tree lines that 
that sparked curiosity from L Street to M Street. <laughs> it wasn't really that. It wasn't really that secret. People talked about it. Like, what happened back there? And oh, it he just, like he ran a tight ship. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah, the tight ship was him hitting people. <laughs> like, that's how tight it was. He would bounce you off the bulkhead. That's that. That was that was. I remember him. I never knew a protractor could be a weapon until he taught a land nav course. Oh wow. He literally like put a dent in some kid. He just like he just like <laughs> popped him from across the room. I like him. Yeah, I know you do. Everyone liked him who wasn't there, but if he he would like try to unalive a boot at least once a day. He did uh he did he did uh, grab me a couple of times. I wasn't, you know, with him, but That I, was his thing. He was freelance. He, yeah. He, he yeah, he found me with uh, some Nike fingerless gloves that I tried to pull and he he had my arm twisted all the way behind my hey, back. Come here. And thank goodness for uh Staff Sergeant Klukey who's like, "Hey, hey, that one's mine. He's okay." Yeah. You know, and he kind of released me, but I was like, "He's going to break my freaking arm off at the range, man." Like yeah. I was like, "What do I do?" Die. He's a big guy. He's he was big. He was big and he was he was a big real intimidating face. Yeah, and he would just he would just say he would just say shit to make you to make you laugh and then punish you. Right. And um, a true psycho. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love him. Yeah, he's incredible. He, he would just be. It's funny. Anytime somebody uh, would tell on him, I never told him. Alaris did, but uh, a lot of people told him. He did. He told him a lot, actually. But um, he got it bad. He. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, but like, he would teach a class and be like, apparently, some people don't like how animated I get. <laughs> no one stopped me before and no one stopped me yeah. now. And then he went back to teaching a class. He goes, All right, motherfuckers, this is how we do land now. He just stopped a class to be like, fuck you, do it again. It was a crazy shit. I would just be like, <sighs> and like me and me and Mike would talk about it and he'd be like, Oh no, kid, we just gotta keep our head down. <laughs> like that was the move. You kept your head down. Really? But we're doing the workup. We're boots, and then we do our first tour. I don't really want to talk too much about this because more stories are kind of whatever. Um, not to downplay any of it, but um, I was there. You were there, so we both know. But I remember going through all this. You were you were someone I leaned through leaned on a lot, especially when uh, you know I found out Christy was pregnant, and um, we deployed to uh, Garmser, right? And we're doing the thing, and. Uh, we're doing like the climatization three week period or whatever, right. and I remember you were the first person I told when I got traded because all those kids popped for drug use. Right, and I was like, "Hey, guess what happened?" And you're like, "What?" And I was like, "I got moved to second platoon," and the look on your face is pretty much the same as you're like, "You son of a bitch!" It was the craziest thing that happened because I went from the lowest to low right. ever to like literally walking in a place where I, you know, I was just like. Hercules singing, I can go the distance. Yeah, it was everyone in Second Platoon had had definitely had like a Maverick Top Gun ego. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> but it was hey, we earned it. Hey, Dagon earned it. You understand? I remember Ryan looking at me, <laughs> looking at me, being like, uh, "What's your name?" <laughs> I was like, "My name's Lance Corporal." He goes, "That's fucking dumb. What's your real name?" And I go, "My name's Zach." He goes, "Cool. My name's Ryan. Just don't call me that during business hours. You get it?" <laughs> like he slapped me on the back, and I was like, "Good to go, Sergeant." Would you have Ryan, Maine, and White? Yeah, those yeah. those uh yeah, those are squad leaders. Yep. And um uh God, Canner was my team leader. That's right. Mike Canner. He's solid, dude. Dude, incredible. They yeah. like invested in me, they taught me things. You know, that deployment went by so quickly. I mean, and we were together all the time there too. That was what I, my memories of that deployment are just so weirdly lighthearted that it's hard to really describe and it doesn't seem real but like well you know why right why little wayne 
Well, that's what I was like, that's what I was getting to, right? Dude, we had the Little Wayne Dedication Three mixtape sent to us before it the was Carter released. Th- we Carter were listening three, yeah. to it. Was it the Carter Three? It's the Carter Three. It was, was the Carter, Carter dedication. It was the Carter. Okay, three. the Carter. We got the Carter three yeah. before it was released. We yes. were listening to it in Afghanistan. Don't before, you forgive us? Before yeah. it was on the radio <laughs> yeah. in America, baby. Yeah. And shout out Tim Dunbar for that, dude. That one of the greatest moments of my life will be sitting in a room with you with a pair of headphones that have been busted. Busted. Cups over the cups over the speakers. Yes, sir. Carter three playing, just being like, this is the best thing that ever happened to yeah, music. Man. Forgive yeah. us, forgive us, Wheezy. But like, we would have paid if we could. But it was in, it was, and just like rockets were coming in, we're getting <laughs> shot at all the time. And it's like, Mrs. Alpha, sir. Seriously, man. <laughs> like, yeah. It was a uh, lollipop, pop, pop, pop. It was just a, it was a small mental oasis. Yeah. Well, and it's just, and we had, you know, two positions, all that stuff. And like, right. that appointment felt fun, mm. right? It, it felt fun. We were always in charge of battle space, all those the, different things. Right. The, uh, the kinetic activity was short-lived, and it was all front-loaded. It was that first 45 days, give or take, yeah. until we took the bazaar. And then after that, it was just, just weird. grueling, a lot of grueling patrols and, you know, long days, long nights, and horrible living conditions compared yeah. to the other deployments. I mean, we were yeah. literally living on the ground. No tents, no AC, yeah. no refrigerators. I mean, on the ground, just kind of like what, Winging you, it. what you think it is. Yeah. Um, but, man... What a great, what a great, great time. Remember we said the volleyball, playing volleyball. Playing volleyball. It was just like jerry-rigged it with engineer stakes and yeah. like that uh, tape. A uh, 100-mile-an-hour tape and 550 cord. Wow. But it was simple, simple times. It was simple times, man. It was simple times, drinking out of a well. Yeah. Um, selling anything, you know, just trying to make trying to make anything work from the MRE that didn't taste like an MRE. Yeah. Selling and trading stuff to get rice and chicken. I think uh, at one point they bought that cow, right? I did buy that cow. I yeah. remember that. I yeah. remember uh, they bought the cow, and I remember stealing stuff from the mobile section. Oh my goodness gracious! Man, fuck those dudes. I don't give a shit about them. I still have the some one guy who talked. The one guy they, who talked uh, about shooting the javelin. Do you remember him? No. He was in the mobile section. He was like, they. Sh-, he would tell the story every time. So oh, I was. Lord. So I was always at that point. Ryan had me shadowing him. I didn't know it at the time, but he, he was training me in everything. Mm. Like, I'd be in there. He's like, this is how you a pre-patrol report. And I was like, okay. You know, I, I didn't know, but he's like, now you do it. And I was like, oh, oh shit. Like, but I'd be in the COC and stuff, and him and Cannon were, like, just training me up because I was going to be a team leader and then eventually a squad leader. But he would, uh, this one mobile section guy would be like, well, they shot an RPG at me, so I shot a rocket at them. And I heard this story so many times, and Ryan looked at me once. He's like, you know, he has those monsters with M on him, whatever his name was. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I think we should get those. <laughs> so, like, I, was, I just like went in there and was like, fuck that dude. And like, we just drank them. And, and they'd be like, hey, tell me the story about shooting the guy with the RPG. He would like distract him. And I'm like over there like, just like stealing it. He sucked. And he'd be like, who stole my stuff? It's like, I don't know. You should probably shoot a rocket at him. Like, because it's all he ever talked about. I was like, I shot a rocket. He shot one rocket at one dude. And he's like, it's like $70,000. Like, jeez. But, we do all that, right? And then we come home, and then we go from boots to salt dogs, oh and we're goodness. leading such an incredible time. Yes, it was. It's, it's, it's a complete reversal. It's the thing you live for as an infantry Marine, in my opinion. I agree. What are you talking about stepping into leadership? Small not, unit no, leadership? not being a boot. <laughs> just oh, yeah. not, oh, sure. Just Absolutely. Not, just not being a boot. Not being the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. Not being at the bottom of the hill that shit rolls down. Yes. And then... You know, it's the workup. They're like, you're going. 
to the to the um what was it? Iraq. That's what I said. They're like going to Iraq for ninety days, and then all that stuff, and then of course none of that happened. We're yeah. in Marja, right. and everything. And I, I don't want this to become like a Marja thing. That's that's a whole different thing for another. You were time. in Marja, bro. Yeah, right, You're a, a real Marja Marine. Can I help you? God bless you. You want me to sign something? <laughs> you want me to sign something? No. So I have a lot of thoughts on Marja. Uh, the main thing is I, I don't like the way everyone says they were there when I know they weren't. That's mm. number one with the bullet. I don't like how people see the video that of the speech. The wall. Walgreens. Oh my goodness gracious! And they're like, "Oh, I was there," and I'm like, "No, no you, you weren't." weren't. <laughs> it was Alpha Company, I, dude. I you. Preaching to the choir. It was Alpha Company. I was in Bravo. You weren't there. You were literally weren't there. You were in a different place, getting a dumb speech that no one recorded. So like, it's not my fault. Also, he was known for giving speeches. Y'all should have just like, I would have accepted y'all coming over. It was a known thing. Um, but my main thing about Marja is that it was it was so fucking bad the entire time. That like towards the end, my only my only thought was that I hope it's not my fault. Mm, Jesus, that was my only thought. You know, we took we took so many yeah. so many casualties yep. every day. It was so it was different. Very kinetic. It was very intense. And I remember being uncomfortable with how documented it was. That was a that was a real thought I had. That like it felt like with combat camera and CNN and and the and that or or how do you mean? What do you mean documented? There were always people there. Like, you know, this is the Marines in Mars. It's all stuff like all the outside media. Not I see, yes. That like, I was like, dude, we might not make it to tomorrow. I don't, wow. I don't, I don't want you to fucking like, it wasn't contact patrols, it was combat patrols every single day. The stuff we were doing is insane. I mean, like. It was we, very kinetic. We were both in leadership position so rapidly rapidly that like it didn't make sense it was a definite it was a definite stretch and growing period because that first tour was definitely good like for getting a good solid bloody nose and and yeah. and, and just okay this is what it is marja was something completely different from that and, and granted each you know each tour that that a military member goes on is unique and different unto itself and I, I like to say that every tour is different and every tour is the same yeah um however that tour w was very special in, in the fact that it was so violent it was uh so every day and we took a tremendous amount of loss yeah compared to what we were compared to and yeah and what, that's what i'm saying like that was happening every, there was like never a day where i'm like we're cool like, I remember, um, you know, I, I you know, I, I remember when, when we lost the Marines in my platoon. I, I'm not going to. No. I don't want to do any fine. names yep. here that we're not doing that. Yeah, I'm not crying today. No. And that's that's not to take away from it. No. Please look up all the names of the Marines that passed from Marja. They're all heroes. But I just remember thinking, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. Nobody was, nobody was. <laughs> From my point of view, everything that we were doing was fucking insanely accurate, and we were doing everything we could within our power to control the outcome, but that didn't seem to matter. And um, I was just like, if, if I go, please just let it be me. Just don't let it take someone else. Don't let it cost someone else's life. Yeah. And well, that's, just my, that's just my thoughts on it. I'm still, I'm, I still struggle with that, especially now in the, 
you know, as as times you know come and gone since then, and you know the way people have lionized the whole the whole deployment, and then you know the thing I, I really take the most offense with is when people when they talk about Marja, for instance, they're not talking about a thing; they're talking about me. Mm. They're talking about you, and they're talking about the Marines we served with, and they're a little too flippant and nonchalant about something that like they just weren't there for, and um, and I try to understand that as best I can, but it's tough, you know, hearing. You know that recruiters are playing a video from a moment in your life as a way to recruit kids. Wow. Yeah, that's a very common thing I hear now. That's interesting. And it, it's been happening since that time. You know, and, and you know, and I know Gunny Walgren very well, and so do, so do you. Absolutely. And, and to know that's just kind of—I don't know. I don't. I still haven't made peace with that. I'm wondering if that's have you. Well, peace is a uh, peace is a path, man, and you got to make it every day with others, with yourself. Um, I have been a lot better about, about making peace with it since I've come to acknowledge what moral injury is, what these decisions are, what they weren't, and also not to ruminate about the past uh, too, too much. You know, a scab will never scar if you keep picking at it. So a little bit of both, man. Some of it is what it is, and uh, it just stays in that, that place inside of you. And some of it, yeah, I've, I've been able to make peace with it, man. And But to be honest, like you just said, it's taken many years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the peace that I have found has been sem- somewhat recent, you know, in the past few years when, I, when I've when t- i taken an, a very active um, approach to self-care, for better, for yeah. lack of better words. Well, and and it's, it's very evident to see where you are now, but... Compared to years prior. Years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because, you know, then my, my enlistment came to an end. Right, and I remember you. And that was tough for you, man. I think it, where were we? Were were we at uh were we at Twenty Nine Palms? Um, we we had talked at one point. I think we snuck off base. We did sneak off base at Twenty Nine Palms. We snuck off base at Twenty Nine Palms. Got base, blackout Palms. drunk. Well, I didn't. <laughs> man, we barely made it back the next morning. Didn't get fucking caught. That's all we that matters. Barely made it back. You know what? Morning. We were legends. But we we talked that night at that <laughs> yeah. pool hall, and yeah. you were. You know, we talked one on one very mm-hmm. intimately about because yeah. you were really torn about wanting to stay in, but yeah. needing to get out. Yeah, and rightfully so. Right. We found out about my second daughter being born. Right. We were a month into Marsha. And um, your first daughter was still just a baby. She was still just a baby. And little Christy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Walking away from that man, that's it was a nightmare. I don't know how you're still two. Pe- I don't know how you're not two people. You know, I don't know how they didn't tear you apart. Um, I think it's honestly, I credit her. Mm. I, I knew from the first moment I met her there was something that was special about her and otherworldly. And hey, uh, I'll back you up on that. You're not wrong. She is a special woman. As a lot of mothers are mm-hmm. superheroes, yeah. she is among those ranks of people. Um, I love Christy so much. I, yeah. you know, And when I talk to her, it's funny, we have a, a group, group chat. chat. Yeah, it's like a family so group we've chat. We've had a group chat with me, you, and Christy in it for... 10 years. Long, I mean, since group before, chats. Before group chats, yeah. Right, so... It was just obnoxious. You were, like, getting multiple texts. Right, and I yeah. didn't like texting Christy without yeah. you. And it's, yeah. it's just easier to... It's all above water, because if I have to ask Christy a question... Well, she's got the answers. She's got the answers. She's I just want to talk to her directly, yeah. and you can read it on your own time yeah. if you want to. And we've had that... Three of us had that dialogue for a yeah. long time, and just getting to know Christy and your whole family along with you has been such an, an amazing mm-hmm. uh, part of my life because, like you just said, man, Christy is a rock. She is good for solid advice. She ain't going to sugarcoat it for you. No, she won't. And um, 
man, you did uh, you did land a real one with her. I just knew. Um, I know everybody is like, oh, whatever. But and like, she's drop dead gorgeous, right? She is. It's stupid that she ever. She's beautiful. It's stupid that she ever talked to me. I was. T- I told her that. Yeah. No. Every you did. Day. <laughs> you, you did. You used to be like. I did not say used that. Used to be like, what's wrong with her? Did she? Did she get? You know, was she in a car wreck? Because she finds you <laughs> handsome. Do you, you want to know one of the things that like really? Um, one of the things that was very clear to me about the type of person she was was she would call me. Or we would, whenever we would speak on deployments, and she would at the first, we would do like this very, we had a very, uh, we had a system. What's going on with you? What's going on with me? And then like follow on actions. Oh, wow. I mean, like, bro, you had to have a system because like, how are, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. Because you want to try and get everything out in like the first five minutes of mm. like to do items and then work on like actually having a conversation. She don't know. And, uh, but the first thing she would always ask me is like, who didn't get mail? Wow. Who didn't get mail? And then she would go out of her way to send packages for other people um, and didn't think twice about it. That's nothing we ever took donations for or anything. That 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 came from, like, a special place in her. And, like, I remember thinking, fuck, dude. Like, how how incredible that that's the mother of my children, that mm. that's my wife. That that's, that's where her mind is because she knows that, like, where I'm at, what's going on, all these things are happening, but she never blinked. Man, and that's that's so intuitive of her because, you know, getting a mail drop and then not getting a letter or a package or something is like not getting a Christmas present on Christmas morning yeah. a little bit, you know, and it, it really I stinks. Think it's worse. And to, and for her to go out there and say, who did, who's not getting mail? Yeah. I'm going to write that person specifically. We're going to send packages yeah. out. That, that, she, what do they she, like? Will they like this su- stuff? She's yeah. a superhero cape, man. She really is a real one. No, she would, uh, I never, I never prodded her on it. I would never be like, I don't know, can we afford? I was like, I was just so taken mm. back that she understood. Right. She understood what was happening that I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just, if I'd say, there was no version of history where I felt like continuing to have conversations like that with her. And I have no regrets on it, honestly, but. And my hat goes off to anyone who still does and is still served, but, like, I just I couldn't do that. But as I as my journey in the Marine Corps came to an end, yours continued. Right. And uh, we were actually – I remember talking to you about doing the same package you did. So you decided to do an enlistment package where you re-enlisted and went to um, – Re-enlisted for the, for the four years, but also had a stipulation. They call it an OP4. Uh, operational forces, so a commitment to stay in a in an operational force, so in an infantry unit mm-hmm. for that additional two years, came with you know a little signing bonus as well. Yeah. Um. So I did decide to do that, and then I stayed with First Battalion, Six Marines, and did another tour with them. And how was that one? So uh, that was in 2011 and 12. We went to the Upper Sangin Valley, mm-hmm. and um, so this was a different one. Um, it was not as uh kinetic you know it wasn't as highly intense fighting every single day yeah however this is when we first started to get um the syrian snipers into afghanistan Mm -hmm. this is when you see uh the rise of isis Mm -hmm. um in the middle east and so we were fighting a different kind of fighter it wasn't the guys that were out there with you know with uh the ak's just kind of doing pop shots and just really aggressively fighting you from a from a longer distance or whatever else these are in my opinion more professional um a lot of sniper activity a lot of ambushes that's when i got ambushed a lot over there well correct me if i'm wrong and and please do um because i knew that you were on it so and there were 
my junior Marines were on that too, who became seniors. Right, absolutely. I actually made it like a, not a job, but like I invested everything I could in like researching what was happening. And from what I can tell is that that part of Afghanistan was basically a training ground for terrorists to then go other places. Is that is that what they were doing? I, I don't know that for a fact, but it wasn't Like they were using me. it as a place to like, this is what we're doing. It, it, it was very deliberate. It was intense. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's, you know, that's when I encountered probably the most loss. Mm. Um, and uh, that's when I encountered the most loss. And it, it happened early in the deployment, which really did something strange to my psyche. Um, because for the first time in a long time, I didn't want to go on a patrol. Um, I, I wanted to ghost patrol all of them. I wanted to put all those kids in a ditch calling my checkpoints and get them all home safe to their parents, man. I didn't want, like you were talking about, I didn't want anything to be my fault. I didn't want anybody to step on anything. I didn't want anybody to get shot. I was like, this, at, by this point, it's my third tour. I was like, this is stupid. Yeah. Um, because I had, you know, again, in Marja, you know, the uh, the losses that were incurred didn't happen to my platoon specifically uh, a lot. That was really a lot of your platoon. It was my platoon. Um, so, you know, in the third, in my third tour, you know, that was my platoon. And, um, you know, it slaps, man. It slaps different. And, uh, but ultimately it, it, uh, it was a growing pain, you know, and I grew through it and I, I got really smart. I got really smart with my routes. I got really smart, uh, with my communication. I got really smart with what's important and what's not. And, uh, and it, it made me into a better leader, I believe. Okay. We're just gonna take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about, uh, life after Sangin and uh what you're doing now are we back yeah we're back and we're back and we're back <laughs> okay all right shout out norm mcdonald shout out norm great norm mcdonald rest in peace norm. Right, let's take a quick break and we're back and we're back <laughs> dude this guy's killing me <laughs> all right uh and we're back um no so you're back from singing you still have your contract right you go where you go uh, we went to Germany for a UDP deployment. We yeah. did some training over there with the Georgian Army and whatnot. Stayed over yeah. there for a little bit. Uh, came back uh, to stateside, North Carolina. And then I got orders to South Carolina to be a uh, marksmanship instructor. So uh, I went down to South Carolina, back to Paris Island, South yeah. Carolina. And uh, this is uh, early 2013. And uh, went straight to the range. Um, started with the uh, combat marksmanship training course. And uh, ended up being a PMI and a, and a PMI instructor uh, towards the end there. I was the lead PMI instructor. So, Did you like it? I loved it, man. It really polished my instructing style, my teaching style, which I believe has um, helped me in a lot of ways, just with speaking, presenting, and preaching, mm -hmm. um, things like that. So it, it was great. It was also great for me to learn um, how to do other things except, you know, high-intensity training and combat yeah. and you know, so it was a nice way to uh, round off, uh, you know, that part of my service or career um, because it was different, but it, it, it was also uh, the same. You know, it was, it was instructing marksmanship. Yeah. So, you know, you're shooting guns all day on the government's dime. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And so you're there and you're there for a while. And I was there for a while. You know, I did uh, I did a. Uh, um, the table two stuff, which is fun. So the crucible, dealing with the recruits, they're doing the live fire stuff. Then um, I was teaching a class, and uh, 
one of the uh, one of the high up leadership was doing a tour and he was sitting in the back of my my class and he heard me talk and he was like, put that guy in the big classrooms. So they expedited me to the uh, primary marksmanship instructors uh, course of PMIs. Yeah. And uh, it did make me a ton of friends on the ranges. Um, you know, a lot of those guys are out there doing grueling hours for years. Years. Waiting for that position. And that's, uh, you know, that didn't fall light on me. But, um, you know, I was very, very fortunate to uh, rapidly accelerate uh, in the schoolhouse ranks uh, for Weapons and Field Training Battalion, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Paris Island, South Carolina. But um, it did it did, uh, it did two different things, though. Okay. Um, because of that high intensity go, 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 go uh, from our infantry unit to a much, much slower pace mm-hmm. um, in South Carolina. Not necessarily the hours, mm-hmm. but the pace. It did something strange to me. Um, the best way I can feel to describe it is if it's like you're ripping uh, down the water on a speedboat. Okay. And then all of a sudden that speedboat kind of comes to a stop. Mm-hmm. And at first there's a moment of calm, but then the wake comes and the wake for me um you know led to a lot of negative self-talk a lot of substance abuse a lot of late nights i wasn't sleeping and uh i ended up getting a job uh, a short distance away bouncing in hilton head Um, i was like i'm not you know i'm not sleeping anyway there's an opportunity for me to make some extra money and that's what Mm -hmm. i'll do and that led me to kind of burning both ends of the candlestick you might say mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of times where i would leave the bar you know two three four o'clock in the morning go straight to the range mm-hmm. you change into camis you know you got to be there uh you know about two hours before the sun comes up anyway so go straight there and then sometimes you don't want to back to back i mean i was just killing myself um really just not taking care of myself doing anything and everything i i could do to avoid um the issues that were knocking and eventually banging at my door. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff from the deployments that I didn't want to think about, didn't want to talk about, um, and I just kept pushing everything down and down and down, and eventually, um, you know, I just ended up not being in a good place. I was working a lot and doing a great job uh, as an instructor and doing a great job um, at the bars. You know, I, I became a bartender really quickly. Uh, yeah. They really liked me over there, and I wanted to people-please everyone, you know. Yeah. I'm really good at helping everyone else on the airplane put on their mask without putting mine on. Mm. Um, so I, I did that to a detriment. I would, you know, I would, years in, I, I was going home. I was drinking heavily every single day, even by myself. Uh, like I said, a lot of negative, hateful uh, self-talk. Um, I really was just being addicted to hating myself and uh, blaming myself. And... Um, you know, things got worse. You know, things got worse. And uh, I tried to ask for help a little bit. Uh, you know, the first time I, I asked for help was was in North Carolina, you know, after one of our tours. And the first thing they said was, oh, yeah, PTSD, here's some Zoloft. And it's just like, geez, Louise, man. Um, and so I didn't want to... I didn't want to keep going down that route of asking for help because I didn't like the help I was getting. Yeah. Um, so I was finding my own help. I was finding help in superficial fun. I was having a lot of fun on Hilton Head, mm. bartending, okay? It might have looked like I was having a great, great time because I kind of, kind of was, but, you know, the man in the mirror at the end of the day was not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, this escalated to the point where, you know, you're drinking every day, you hate yourself, and you're playing with guns every day. And eventually, uh, it all came to a head one night with, you know, horrible breakups and this issue and that issue and that issue. And I've been saying, F it, I ain't trying to be here for a long time. Mm. And one night I tried it. And it rocked my world, and I didn't know what to do, so I confided um, in, a, in, a, in a staff NCO who had had similar issues. And he said, let's get you the help for real. And I was so scared because I didn't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to have a black mark on my name. I didn't want the guys, you know, all the guys that are in the office and everything else to look at me like a weakling who couldn't handle my stuff. So. Because it's very real, and I don't want to stop you, and thank you so much for what you're sharing, but people don't really understand in the military, especially in the infantry, during this time, if you say, I need help, I'm not doing well, fuck this, I don't feel good, you're done, your career's over. Yeah. Right, and people don't talk about that. They don't. That's dug into, I remember we were boots, and there were a few guys who didn't want to deploy again, and the way they treated them has stuck with me till the end of time. Mm. Like a cancer. Yeah. we. I Get the fuck out of like, here. Like a disease. We don't fuck you. You're not one of us. You're not one of us. They even made him stand in a different formation. You don't even want to go to sick call if yeah. you're sick because you are a weakling and you there there will be a mark on you. Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. Change your socks. Drink some water. Take a Motrin and shut up. Yeah. Go do your job, man. What, are you sad? You sad little girl? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shoot. I'm, I'm a, yeah. Marie, let's go. Yeah. I'm the man. To our detriment. To our detriment. Our eternal detriment. So I took his advice and I went to go get the help. And mm-hmm. that that rolled out into me having to, you know, go away to get the help. So they sent me to a, you know, a place like a rehab kind of place for 21 days or whatever it is. And you do that. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but really what the, and not this individual person, but what the, what the institution did S- system what the system did was they used that as as a way to expedite my exit um from the, from the service and uh i fought it really hard famously fought it um and i was really really upset because this is the exact opposite of the uh verbal confirmation i had that nothing w- was going to happen to my career i was a i was a 20-year guy my father did 23 uh, you know, strong military background. Most of my grandfathers were in. Um, I really wanted to do my time. And, uh, and my time was cut short because of my actions. And um, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's the fair statement. Your time was cut short because of, because of what happened. Asking for help, which resulted in it. Right. Your actions were that you did the things you're supposed to do and then they punished you for it. Yeah, I've learned to accept uh, a little bit of responsibility and look at the whole pie on this. Yeah. Because for many years, I was not doing the things that I knew I should or shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I'll, I'll own up to not taking care of myself and mm-hmm. put myself in a very bad position and putting the system, like you said, in a, in a bad position of mm-hmm. not knowing what to do with me and and to all the friends that we have lost um, you know, by their own hand. Maybe they are trying to cover their own butt and say, hey, let's get these, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just kind of talking about Well, dude, right I mean, at that time, yeah. you know, we that was when it started. We're not going to name names. It's not, that's not, that's not right. this story. Right. But 
2011, 2013. Dropping they just, like flies. They man. just started happening, and yeah. it was indiscriminate. It had no pattern. There was nothing you can see. To this day, you can't really tell as they continue to happen. And what's funny is, and I don't know if you'll remember this, I say that kind of jokingly. I don't think we've talked about it a terrible amount. Mm. But you saw me on a, probably a Halloween trip. Um, yeah. You saw me, and you kind of saw, because you you had kind of saw me from a bird's eye view, and mm-hmm. you said, hey, Ace, you're not going down the best path. Some it was the, the wedding. Some of the, it wasn't the wedding. It was okay. the wedding. And, you know, you kind of very gently try to tell me, you know, take it easy on yourself. Yeah. You know. Things are not going to end well, you know, if you keep down this path. And I took it really horribly, man. Oh, I didn't I deliver it we, the best, probably. We, we you know, we, we butted fought. heads. We, and we literally fought. fought, yeah. Probably one of the only fights that we've it ever had. It is the been only in. fight we've ever okay. had, yeah. I, you know, and I left, and Christy came and got me. Yeah. And, yeah. But, you know, you had the, the, the sight and the fortitude to say something to me. And this, you know, this is a long line of people, friends, and family members who saw this stuff and tried to say, hey, Mm-hmm. Chill, mm-hmm. and I said no. Yeah, you said that a lot. Um, I mean, everybody does, but like, I'm okay. Yeah, and well, it's just at that time we had lost, we started losing so many people, right. and uh, you know, I was also working in a nonprofit, so I was, I was, you I had was, your hands in it. I uh, dude, I could, I could smell it, I could smell it on you, and it just, it just became clear to me, um, you know, and for me, it's, I, I always. I always wonder if it comes from a place of selfishness because, like, what I see is what I try to look for in myself. And then mm-hmm. I've always wanted to help other people because, for me, I've found the best version of myself in the service of others. But it helps me to be accountable for my family and everyone else being like, am I doing this? Am I, am I moving like that? Like, it's just, you know, I don't have all the answers or by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, when I see the things that are happening, I'm just like, dude, what the oh. – like, anyone's anyone can get it. But – you were on this path, and you've been on this path for a while. And as much as you want to talk about it, I, you, I, you know, when I started working with nonprofits, my whole goal was to disrupt it, be like, "Hey, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that." But um, you very recently have made this radical change, right? And it's it's been awe inspiring to watch, but you know. I don't know how else to say it. Like I'm, I'm just really proud, and I, I think it starts. It really started with the Shepherd Center. Absolutely, I, I think it. I think with 100. percent No, 100. Um, no, 100. As much as much or as little as you as you want to talk about it. And please. honestly, you know, credit where credit is due. It started with you, and it started with Travis, man. It started yeah. with the Shepherd's men, yeah, who had my back from day one. And, and like a dog with a bone in its mouth would not let go, would not drop it, fought hard for me. Yeah. And I will never forget that. I'll never forget that. But when I did get to the Shepherd Center, thank God for you and the Shepherd's men who got me there. That was Travis. That's when I started getting the help that I, that I truly needed. And, uh, and the Shepherd Center is a nonprofit. Um, they have uh, they treat PTSD, brain injury. They have a military world branch. renowned yeah. spinal injury yeah. hospital, um, brain injury hospital, yeah. world renowned. And like you're saying, they have a totally separate section the sh- for, for uh, military members. Yeah, it's called the sh- the Share Program. Yes, sir. And um, this is just for everyone for context. So it's the Share Program. And so what they do is they take people. You get assigned like a case manager, and please fill in. You live there, um, and it's your job to heal every single day. 
and they're like, you have a whole team, and they're like, what is Brian Archer doing? How can we help him? Yeah, and uh, start to finish. It, it was tough, you know, and it, and it definitely, it's like anything else. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. But this is the real deal uh, place um, to get help. I mean, I've, I have met with so many medical doctors. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was not in reality. It's like, why are you all here with me? You know, like I've been having all these issues for years and years and years and years. I barely see a doctor maybe for a couple of minutes. Now I'm in a room with th- with three of them who are giving me individual attention, answers, um, guidance for hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that that uh, that really inspired me to do the right thing, not only for myself, but for all the people who were pouring into me. They deserved it to get the best out of me. And I really started to pay attention to... Uh, how I talk to myself, how I talk to others. I really started to um, understand that what's going on with me is something that needs attention. Mm-hmm. And it can't just go unchecked. You know, I, I do have some issues, you know, some cognitive issues and some other health issues um, that need to be addressed in a different way. I say different as opposed to somebody who's completely for lack of a better word, normal, yeah. right? Um, so I know that there's certain things that I need to do in order to make myself my best self. Um, you know, it starts with routine. It starts with diet. It starts with exercise. It starts with, you know, relationships, all these things. You put them together and getting that good routine, mm-hmm. that morning and evening routine, I, I consider that my book ends, mm-hmm. you know, big, heavy book ends that keep everything else in the middle straight and standing up. Um, so really nailing that stuff down and having people there to help me uh, understand the importance of that, understand the importance of thinking things through um, and ignoring some of your first you know, uh, thoughts and trying to search out for what is the, the better one. Um, it was uh, just pretty incredible as, as far as just getting a keynote classes, uh, learning about emotional regulation, um, learning about, uh, again, moral injury, uh, uh, relationships with uh, not only with your family, um, with your friends and with your peers, but also with yourself. Um, it's, it's so incredibly important. And it really just, once I took it seriously, you know, it just bloomed for me. Like it just happened. Well, I mean, it was, it was known. It was known how, how serious she took it. So the program is, is, is very intense. People live there. It's their job. You know, seven days a week they're doing it. Um, I'll, I'll never forget being down there with Travis at your graduation. Right. And, uh, I mean, because you had been, you'd been trying for so long. Yeah. And uh, it's not that it's not that you weren't trying. It's not that you didn't care. It was just it's fucking hard. And um, when I saw and heard the way they talked about you, I think I'll carry that forever. The well, it's it's also it's it's interesting to hear people call you Brian. That was a real thing because okay, I know you, I know you you lit people like into your life, which is like a, a rule. But to just hear. I just remember being proud and being like, I, I think he's going to be okay. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget it. Just like the, you know, and it's not just that, and I don't, I don't give too much of this away, but like the way your classmates were like, you know, Brian was leading this, Brian was holding us accountable, and I was like, oh, he couldn't help himself. Yeah, and that's true. He couldn't, I, I couldn't help myself. He couldn't help himself. He had, to, he, had to, he had to lead those lost souls. Those dum-dums needed to be told what to do, you know. Those, those, those war fighters needed him. And... Um, you know, it's just been 
since that moment, there's been this radical transformation in you that's that's it's been awe inspiring because like it's hard. No one tells you what it's like. Um, what post traumatic stress is, and and I, I have a very dumb definition of it, but it's all I can think of. I think it's true. To to me, post traumatic stress disorder is when you come to the realization that the memory of who you were is better than the reality that you are. Mm. It is almost impossible not to hate yourself. Wow. Because you remember, like, I used to be this, and now I'm this. Right. And this fucking sucks. This sucks. And then you're like, well, why do I feel, why can I not stop feeling this way? Why does this, all, why am I sad all the time? You know, why do I, why do I punch this? Or whatever, whatever right. it is yeah, you're doing, however that's yeah. manifesting. Why, why am I stressed all the time? And, like, it's hard to un, unpack that. But just to see you there and the, you know, your mom's there and we're all there. Yeah. And it's just, it was, it's a moment I'll, I'll hold for a long, long time. But then it puts you on this path and to where like you, you've tar- you've started to take serious the idea of taking care of Brian. Right. And that was the start that led you to another place. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. Almost a year to the day. Year to the day is when we, when I picked you up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I went down to uh, Mexico with uh, vets, vets, uh, uh, veterans exploring treatment solutions. Yes. Um, incredible. Absolutely, hands down, incredible. They poured gasoline on the small fire that I started in uh, Atlanta at the Shepherd Center. Uh, I, I mean, I, I took this self-help thing seriously. I, I put together this small fire and vets poured gasoline all over it, man. And it was just amazing the transformation that happened down there. And this is, you know, before, you know, the medicine or the roots, you know, just the experience of uh, being there, feeling like everybody loves you and cares about you. Um, And also the traditional Mexican sweat lodge, the three hour breathing class, the two hour yoga and stretching classes. I mean, they were absolutely incredible as far as just breaking outside of your comfort zone and, and really digging deep into holistic um, treatment and healing. Well, and it's, it's something that is truly incredible. And I, I, I mean, there's a lot of people that I've, I've gone, I went, um, in 2021, you know, someone else we served with, uh, went as well, but I'm so happy. Can I just interrupt you? I am so happy yeah. that you went. When I first found yeah. out that you were thinking about going, I think Christy and I said no. You both said no. This yeah. is the deep end of the pool. Yeah. How about you take a mushroom first and not press the nuke button yeah. on your brain? I mean, I was worried. Yeah. And I saw what it did for you, man. Well, I'm the I'm the king of fuckets. So, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I remember when they were started talking about it. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to make this about me, but I, it's it's my it's been ten minutes. I got to talk about myself. Um, no, uh, everyone's laughing way too much. Everyone's laughing way too much. But no, it was, it was, so what it was, was that I had seen what it had done in other people. Mm. And um, the small amount of research I'd done, it, it just led me to a place where I was like, I probably won't get this opportunity again. Where I was personally, professionally, everything that was lined up, my, you know, Jared Taylor from Black Rifle himself set me up and sent me down there. And, you know, I went down there with some incredible people, people I'm still friends with to this day, wow. and it, it changed a part of me, right. like, that I don't understand. And then it it felt like something I had to tell everyone. Right. Um, and so I understand the hesitation because it's, it's, it's literally talking to God. It's, it's everything. It's everything. And, but I've never looked back. 
And it's put me on this path where I'm at now, where we're here now, where everyone's here now, and we're having this conversation. And all I can think about is how crazy it was that me and you know a bunch of guys, one of them didn't even have a leg. He was sneaking down to Mexico to go do some uh, psychedelics to, to find a path towards healing beyond the battlefield. And the thing that I the thing that I wanted most was to see the results and other people because I I just seen what it's done to me. But you know, again, like it's a year later and the person that sits in front of me doesn't even look the same. Wow. In the very best way. And it's hard to really understand it sometimes. Man, well it's you know, gratitude through and through. Um I'm extremely grateful. Um I'm blessed. You know, blessed to have you as a friend who helped set that kind of stuff up for me. I think there was even a couple roadblocks with that. You know, um, I think uh, the scholarship I was trying to get was for SF Special Forces only. And I said, Zach, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna take me. You said, stand by. <laughs> and then I got a phone call. Hey, Mr. Archer, uh, welcome aboard. It's called a board member that I know, so, but yeah, no. I appreciate that. And um, it's not me. It's the same thing that happened to me. Someone, someone provided this. Well, thank you for paying it forward. Yeah. Some people don't, man. Well, I mean, I look at it like this, like information in this space. There's so few of us. Yeah. We're fighting to just stay alive. We shouldn't fight over ways to heal. Yeah. Um, and we need to be better about that. We do. And we we're, do. The, we're the fucking worst. We're the worst at it. We have mm. such a family mentality about everything. If I start a company, you can't do it. If I do a podcast, you can't do it. It's, it's, it's incredibly fucking lame. Um, I think it's just because people are scared to do a different idea and embrace failure. But... Failure is not really failure. Failure, in my opinion, is not doing something. Well, if no one wow. listens to this, who the fuck cares? Like, or I don't, that's not my metric for success. My metric for success is that the idea I had during COVID to write on cardboard turned into something that's now to a place where we're here. Like, that's successful to me, to a place to where, like, we're able to talk about different ideas and solutions and things to help people find peace. Like, dude, we're, we're winning. We're winning. We're winning. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I just I think people need to embrace it more often. But like as as you sit here now and you think about all the things that have happened, what's what's the biggest thing that you that you want people to take away from it? What what do you want people to know about Brian Archer? What do you want to know about Ace? What's something you've learned? What's something that I've learned about myself? I mean, like if you could think of something that you wanted people to like take away from this. Lead with love. You know, do everything with love. Put love into into everything that you can and watch what happens, man. You know, it's uh love, you know, it, it's it's so simple, but it's not easy. And um really just leading with love is the most important thing that we can do for each other. Um so if there's one thing that you want to hear from me, love each other and be well. Take care of yourself, you know. When you, you know, I, I, I'm a faith-based person, you know. Mm -hmm. I follow the teachings and, and I believe in Jesus Christ. So I, I follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. And, and some of the only things that he asks us to do is to love God with everything we have inside of us mm -hmm. and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I think that that's a very important part because it's very easy to love God. Well, I say it's very easy to love God and to love others. But he mentions, as ourselves, it's important for us to love ourselves. How can we love each other? How can we serve and love a God without love for ourselves 
first and inside of us. It's very interesting. It's a very important part of those uh, greatest commandments uh, that he gave us. And I think um, as I learned to love myself more, I learned that it's so much better, easier, fulfilling, and fun to love others, man, to love my neighbors. And my neighbors is everyone, man. And, uh, and that's what you're doing now. That's what I'm trying to do, man. What's next for Brian Archer? What's next for me? I would, uh, well, so what I'm doing now is, uh, is I'm uh, exploring my own ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been uh, preaching and doing some youth ministry stuff at some local churches back home. Um, but I had uh, something laid on my heart uh, about a, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I immediately said, oh, that's great. And I put it in my back pocket and I tried to put everyone else's air mask or you know, mask on first. Mm-hmm. So I was convicted and I said, no, when, when you were asking God for purpose, he gave you this, this idea. He gave you this gift yeah. to start first to fight faith ministries. Um, and so that's what I really want to pour my heart into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just an opportunity uh, for me to help other people and whichever way I can. Uh, as far as helping them with uh, their faith, helping them in prayer, helping them get resources, mm-hmm. um, helping them plug in to uh, local resources uh, that can help them in ways that's tailor-made for them. But for me, it starts with the power of prayer because prayer isn't just all we can do. It's everything that we can do. So if you'd like to join me or if anybody would like to join me, my ministry is real simple right now. I pray um, for our veterans in active duty mm. um, twice a day at Reveille and at TAPS. Um, so at 6.30 and at 9, I take a moment to pause and to pray for all the men and the women in uniform right now actively serving, you and me, for all the veterans who have been there and done it, for all the family members and the friends who have lost loved ones, and for the souls of ones who have made the ultimate sacrifice. So that's what First to Fight Faith is right now because we're a newborn baby ministry. And I'm looking forward to growing myself and growing this ministry in whatever whatever ways God leads me to do. But it's definitely starting, you know, it's definitely serving and loving others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said it's where I found the best version of myself. And it's been exciting to watch you on this path because you've really, you reminded me of, of Ace back in SOI, the guy who could just, you know, lead a horse to water and then sell it to him and then buy it back and rent it to his grandmother. There you go. Like you have this ability to connect to people and, and I, I see it. It's been ever, I mean, ever since, you know, ever since Atlanta, there's, there he is. And it's been exciting to see it. And I mean, I'm so excited for our Halloween costumes and, oh yeah. And I'm so, I'm so fucking proud oh, yeah. of you. Oh man. Thank you. And wow. Like, wow. Thank you, man. I hope if anyone takes away any anything from this is that people understand that there there is a path forward and that you are worth fighting for. You are absolutely worth it. Um, you matter the most. You are you are one hundred percent loved. You are needed. You're cherished. You have purpose in this life. And um, and you know there's purpose in the pain. Mm. And uh, you got to keep going on, man. Um, when we first got dropped off in Garmser, the uh, the fields were irrigated; they were wet. They were. So you just imagine walking through, you know, shin high mud with 150, 200 pound backpack on, 
machine guns, rifles, etc., and just walking, 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 walking. And I remember just getting to one, pl- just getting to a place where I was so broke off. I don't know, like this guy, one of our machine gunners. I mean, he spiked his 240 into the mud. I mean, it was just a mental breakdown because you can't quit. Yeah, you just got to keep going. I remember at one point just saying. I can take one more step. Boom. Planting it. And I can say, all right, well, I can I can take one more step. Boom. Boom. You can take and I would encourage you, no matter what mud, no matter how much shit you're walking through in your life right now, you can take one more step. I would encourage you to do so. Dig deep. Understand that right now things might suck. There might be pain, but there is purpose in it. There is a purpose for your life. There is grace. There is mercy that can cover anything that you think you might have done. And we need you here. So hold on. It's worth it. It really is worth it. And if you need help, go get it because it's the best thing that I've done for myself. It's the best thing that I've done for the people around me. My family, my friends who are watching me rot. You bring life to yourself. You bring life to the people around you. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to others. Ask for help and get it. If you need help, it's there. It's available. Please find it. And if you don't find it the first time, keep looking. If you don't find it the second time, keep looking. If you don't find it the third time, call Zach Bell because he knows where to get it. You matter. You're worth it. You keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. And be well. Be well. I can think of a better way to end it, so I, I dare not try. Thank you so much for being on here today, and thank you to everyone for tuning in to After Action Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>